There it is. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm. Okay, let's start. Let's see. Okay. Hope that it is moving. Okay. Uh, this is Susana Manza, and right now it is. It is 9.18 p.m. on Monday, July the 31st, 2012, and I am interviewing Zeke Romo uh, and for the Austin American, for the, for the Austin History Center. Ezekiel? It's the 30th. Oh, July 30th. <laughs> Let's start all over. Okay. I'm going to give it a little space and start over because I'm not allowed to edit. Okay. This is Susana Almanza, and it is Monday, July the 30th, uh, 2012, and I'm here interviewing Zeke Romo for the Austin History Center. Zeke, what is your full name? Full name is Zeke Romo. Okay. And uh, when and where were you born? I was actually born in uh, Kyle, Texas. She used to be a little country town. Now it's a suburb of Austin, basically. Uh -huh. Back in um, 1950. 1950. Okay. And when did you move to Austin? Family moved to Austin in uh, 1960 after uh, we were working the cotton fields in West Texas. And once the cotton picking machines came out, uh -huh. you know, did away with the work. So we had to come to the big city to, to find work. Uh, and do you remember what part of the city you moved into in 1960? We moved over by uh, what's part of UT now, on uh, East 18th and San Jacinto. I don't think right now you find anything there but state buildings or parking lots. It's right across the old uh, that uh, oil oil field or oil uh, right there on 19th Street somewhere. Okay. And uh, what do you remember? Do you have any memories of that neighborhood? Uh, maybe where you work, do you recall what school you went to there? Or? The neighborhood was was not in the barrio or even anywhere where it was the predominant Mexican-American like, like we are, uh, Hispanics. It was like a, on the outskirts of an Anglo neighborhood, but yet it was a poor area. There were some uh, poor houses there on the, outs on the fringe of that area, which is basically downtown now. And that's kind of where we, we grew up. Uh, 1960, by that summer, we went to an old elementary school called John B. Wind up on Aish 35. Uh, used to be Aish 35. I mean, used to be uh, what it was back then. East Avenue, it used to be called. Uh, went there through uh, John B. Wind Elementary School and then University of Junior High, uh, UJH, right down the road also. So this was in your neighborhood? They were, all, they were neighborhood schools, basically. Neighborhood school. And uh, were there any, uh, any problems that you remembered at that time in that neighborhood or that community? The uh, University of Junior High was, a, was part, it was like a teaching school for UT, for teachers. They were trained, a training school, rather. So we had a lot of innovation there, even back then in the, in the early 60s. Uh, 64, 65, I think, something like that. In a way, it was one of the first schools to be integrated. You had uh, Mexicanos, like us, uh, and then you had uh, blacks from the other side of the highway, and then you still had the Anglos that lived over on East Avenue, up the, up the road, up um, 25th Street, 
uh, up a little farther north, up in uh, Clark, I think Clarkwood or something like that. So it was um, it was a pretty good school. I got a lot of that that junior high. It was um, actually one of the first places I found the diversity. And before that, growing up in a little town like Kyle and going out to the cotton fields, all we saw was ourselves, you know, mm -hmm. reflections of our own selves, Mexicanos. So until I got there, that's when I started seeing that, trying to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And do you remember if your family talked about any certain politics, whether it was local or state or national? Do you remember any... any? My dad, the first, and I picked this up from him, mm -hmm. read the paper every morning his paper and his cafe mm -hmm. at like 6 in the morning and that's where I got I think I like to say got my interest in uh, politics and reading the paper up to now that's the first thing I do I go walk out the door and pick up my newspaper don't drink coffee mm -hmm. but I'll read the paper my dad was uh, in his own way a liberal he was uh, always BSing about the government mm -hmm. he would always say why does the government do this do that Remember that back in the 60s and the 70s, he passed away like mid-1991. So during that time, he was um, pushed education on us. And of course, he was always uh, working out in the fields or labor, so it kind of pushed us to stay in school. So not to repeat that, of course, your dad always wants you to, to do better. But um, he wasn't involved in politics or anything like that. He wasn't uh, registered to vote. Actually, no one in the family was registered to vote. I'm thinking I was the first one when I turned, uh, what was it back then? It was 18, I think, or 21, whatever that age was. But I'm um, not really involved in any politics, mm -hmm. just trying to survive. And uh, were you involved in any kind of student action or anything? Well, you said you went to uh, Genby Winning Elementary, mm -hmm. and in the middle school was... Uh, university Junior High. University Junior High, like I said, it was one of the first schools that was integrated. And I think it was a grand design to kind of do it that way because again, you had the, uh, the UT uh, university teachers and the clientele, all those educators. And um, I was on in the uh, student council and leadership positions and sports and so on. One thing I remember there very clearly is that's when Vietnam was going on, was kind of starting. I remember being in one class and we're talking about Everybody's talking about the offensive and they're going to come over here and attack us and so mm -hmm. on and so on. And then I say, how are they going to cross that ocean in the little little boats, pontoons that they have? I don't think that. <laughs> so I was kind of uh, already back in those days, anti-war type. Mm -hmm. And so what about your high school? High school, that was a huge one. Austin High School, that's where I went. A uh, huge school run by... Uh, we still had a lot, a lot of Hispanics and Blacks. Again, almost carried forward the um, the uh, diversity of UJH as we knew it. Uh, Austin High, of course. Then you had the rich people out from West Austin, from uh, uh, the West Austin side, trying to. You still could see those different uh, uh, levels. You know, everybody stayed to themselves. Um, again, one of my my uh, didn't know anything about uh, applying for your testing, to take your test a year ahead of time, your, uh, what is it, SAT and all that, didn't know about college, uh, putting in your applications or scholarships. You know, my mom went to the third grade, my dad to the third grade also, so there was no experience in that. So I forgot, or I didn't know, I didn't apply. So when I graduated, I think I was in the top 10% or top seven, something like that. 
I, uh, because of that, I went to UT at the last moment and went in as a provincial student. Meaning, if, if I went for the summer with a full 17 hours, I was able to get, get in as a full-time student. Austin High, again, was, was uh, I did well in school, but I also had to work as soon as I started. Oh, actually, even when I was in junior high. So I did work and so on. One of the uh, key things that are related to that scholarships and not knowing, having the experience from your parents or family, was I remember I uh, they hit a contest on, on the, what was it, uh, current events for the whole school. And I, at the beginning, the first announcement was that I was number one, that I, I had the top score. Then all of a sudden, it comes the second announcement. No, that was incorrect. There really is another guy who was the brain for Austin High School, one of the brains. And until years later, I said, you know, was I screwed up on that? Mm -hmm. Did they really, how was I to know the count? My dad and mom didn't even know what it was. So I always wondered whether that was really true or not. Mm -hmm. So that was my Austin High School, uh, which again, I lived, uh, actually I lived two blocks from it, from, uh, where was this Austin this High re, uh, located at? This is the old Austin High that was there on, uh, what was it, West Avenue? Up there on uh, Rio Grande. Oh. Yes, yeah, part of ACC now. And again, it was more of a, of a uh, higher type of neighborhood, but again, we were able to find the poorer housing there, the more affordable housing, which again, a little, little fringe, little pedacitos ahí. So that was where we lived. So we lived almost just two blocks away. Uh, from there, I uh, went to uh, UT at Austin, mm -hmm. which again, I walked from, I uh, would walk many times from that area all the way up to UT. And what were you studying at UT? I, right away, I went into uh, communications, journalism. I wanted to be the next Walter Cronkite. I got scholarships to uh, Medicine, Wisconsin, but back then, Mexicanos did not want to leave home, their hometown. So I said, no, I don't want to go to Medicine, Wisconsin. I forget what university over there is over there. And back then, it was, I don't know if it still does, back then it had one of the top uh, journalism schools. So I stayed at UT, studied uh, my degree in communications in the Spanish and government. I worked on the uh, newspaper there, the Daily Texan. I think I was, I think, pretty sure I was one of the first writers that actually went to the east side and covered uh, uh, events over there for the, uh, for the Daily Texans, for the students to be able to get to see what was going on the other side of the world, which was this whole strange world to them. I remember, uh, you probably remember people, Larry Jackson, when he had his breakfast program, I would go cover that and we would get volunteers, you know, with the publicity, would hear that, you know, they would start getting more volunteers. So I, I like to think that I expose the students to a different type of uh, culture and different type of environment through that. Good. And, um, and I, I guess, uh, so when you finished, uh, when you graduated from the University of Texas, can you graduated. tell us a little bit when you graduated and what you did after that? Got my, uh, graduated in 1973. Um, my, my mom attended. Poor mom didn't know what was going on, but she was all proud. I remember her that that my my brothers Sylvester and, and uh, a couple of other brothers and their wives um, they're at the front line at, at the front of the UT tower 
that's where the uh, celebration was held. But my uh, senior year there is when I started, again, basically because of a daily Texan, mm -hmm. I started, I was kind of, uh, I had family in East Austin and knew of it, and, but we were kind of isolated, like I said, where we were in our little area. So I wasn't too exposed to the barrio, East Austin, Montopolis, anything like that. So, but with the uh, Daily Texan, and I started doing those coverages, I went over there and met a, did a story and met a guy named Marcelo Tafoya, who was very involved. He had a, uh, he and a friend of his, they had a Chicano newspaper. So as part, in my last semester of my senior year, senior year, I started doing some volunteer work with them. Do you remember the name of that? The, uh, the paper was called The Echo. The Echo, and then he had another part of it called Musica, which dealt more with the uh, Chicano music, the Tejano music, which uh, back in those days, we had some, a pretty good marketing stra strategy because The Echo was very political. It was involved in covering police brutality, the civil rights issues that were going on, the huelgas that were going on, the uh, boat races, the... Uh, the uh, economy, furniture, all those kind of different events. So only the committed East Austin businesses would, uh, would advertise in Echo. I remember offhand, uh, El Azteca, uh, Joe's Bakery, um, Paul Tovar, several four, four, five, six, seven businesses mm -hmm. like that. But the uh, Musica was the one that brought in the money that paid for the other one. Because everybody, you know, Mexicanos, we like our music, so we would get ads from all the recording companies, the uh, Little Joe's and the Freddie Records and all those kind of Buena Suerte, all those kind of recording companies. And that's when I started again then going into more of the, uh, uh, eventually when I graduated, I didn't have a family yet so I wasn't married, I was still barely too young to marry. So I went into working for nothing basically at the Echo. But I, that's one of the times, places where I think I really grew into, and, and really we covered a lot of areas and topics in East Austin that, other, that the regular newspaper or the media didn't cover. Mm -hmm. Great. And uh, now I'm just going to kind of fast forward you to, um, and, uh, if you can kind of help us understand at what period did you become involved uh, with the Mexican-American Culture Center or discussion mm -hmm. about creating a Mexican-American Culture Center, if you As part of the, uh, in being involved with the uh, newspaper, with the Echo and being involved in the community covering, I was more of the chronicler instead of being part of the events. Mm -hmm. So in, in covering some of those uh, uh, items and topics, th they were way back, back at the beginning, 72, 73, there were some people, well, there was a lady, Margarita Simon. She had a Spanish uh, show, radio show on the, on Spanish radio, which was social news. Quinceaneras, marriages, uh, anniversaries, uh, parties and events. So she, she and other people like Marcelo and that I mentioned, Paul Tovar, uh, I think even Leon Hernandez, there was a group of people like that. Um, I forget the name from El Azteca. He was one of our biggest. Jorge Guerra. Jorge Guerra. Yes, he was one of the biggest uh, uh, supporters, and uh, Mr. Avila from Joe's Bakery, and some key people like that. And but those first three that I mentioned, I would hear from. Of, uh, of they had a concept, they had an idea or a dream, really. I guess it was more of a dream, of um, 
cultural center there on uh, back then it was First Street, which is now Chavez, of trying to get a, the city to donate property. I mean, back then we knew what property the city owned. It owned all kinds of property on, on the east side. But I think we never, they never really got moving on that. So that was my first inkling of that. And of course, the, uh, with the uh, Mexicano, we uh, like our music and our parties and our gatherings, and there was nothing in the east side to really, I mean, you had your churches, your iglesias, your plataformas, and those kind of, some saloon halls, they called them back then, mm -hmm. where you, people could have events, but there was really nothing there. It was, I guess, the mid, uh, I guess the early, mid-70s, 76 again in those coverages, when groups like uh, a lucha firm started forming, the uh, League of United Chicano Artists, and they started, uh, they had their office there on first, on Chavez, with Chavez now, and what, Chicon maybe? Yeah, Chavez and Chicon. And they started a lot of the, the movement, they brought in artists, and they brought in dancers, and they brought in uh, muralists. Uh, oh, in fact, one of the uh, first murals was on the old uh, Juarez Lincoln building, where the IHOP is now. I was working and attending Juarez Lincoln University back in 70, 475, something like that. And one of the first major murals was there and there was a big fight because uh, they sold the property and IHOP was going to tear it down, which they eventually did. So I think a lot of that also started, uh, this is when, uh, again, the Chicanos started, had more leisure time. They were getting up into the middle class or getting closer, higher up, mm -hmm. not having to work in, uh, you know, 80, 90 hours. So they were having more free time. They were starting to think, I think, about the, uh, the culture and the arts and, and the literature and the poesia and all that, all that stuff. So that's, I think, that's when I think that concept started, uh, or the idea started, or at least I started hearing about it in the mid 60s, 70, 76, from Lucha and other organizations that were there, of uh, having uh, their own place in East Austin, cultural center, if you will, or uh, museo where uh, the topics would be all Mexican uh, information and events and, and uh, culture, uh, literature, etc. And then I think that started kind of snowballing again as people started having, uh, being able to, uh, again, have more, more time and, and artists started coming in into Austin from other areas outside of Austin and they had influence, again, through Lucha and there were other, other organizations uh, and then, it's against then in about the uh, mid-80s, the, uh, there were several neighborhood organizations that came under El Concilio, which meant, uh, and the Concilio, El Concilio was the umbrella for uh, neighborhood groups like uh, Istanbul Lake Citizens, uh, Barrio Nido, uh, several, four or five of them in there. And they started, again, thinking of the concept of Fiesta Gardens. Fiesta Gardens area had always been there and it started way back uh, 60s or late 50s first as a little place for a flower garden and event by some uh, entrepreneurs from from uh, from Austin West Austin and they were in there to make money in a beautiful area of course anybody who's seen it and I guess then neighborhood people started saying oh, what about us it's right within our midst it's among us so why why can't we use it for for our events, of course, before that, the uh, the city or the Aquafest 
kind of saw also the how nice it was and that it could be used for boat races. Those kind of a uh, uh, neighborhood came out against those because they were noisy and traffic congestion and, and so on and so on. So eventually the the boat races were closed. So the place kind of became available, and that's where I think people then started wanting to build up that area for for the neighborhood. The uh, neighborhood there around the uh, Fiesta Gardens, which is the uh, Town Lake area, East Town Lake Citizen area, uh, from 7th Street down to uh, to the shoreline, to the uh, to this side of the shoreline, basically 85-90% Hispanic. And uh, I guess people started seeing there, looking for the area for sports and so on. Uh, the uh, Again, the uh, El Concilio, Istanbul Lake Citizens, and other groups, neighborhood groups, Lucha, mm -hmm. uh, sent a, uh, put a plan together, uh, approached the city, uh, parks also, to uh, develop that area, to develop, develop it into a comprehensive uh, cultural center with a culture center and also uh, uh, sort of a mu museum, Museo del Barrio type. Mm -hmm. The uh, one of the aspects of that as that, that groundswell started was that the approach the city council and, and parks, uh, parks recreation department. Back then, at that time, in the uh, early 80s, I was working for a group called East Austin Chicano Development Corporation, which was a uh, organization there in East Austin that again uh, worked on tech, providing technical advice to businesses, looking at developing economically the area, uh, small businesses, etc. And one of our contracts with the city and with uh, architect Ponciano uh, Morales was to do a survey, or a needs assessment rather, mm -hmm. of what the community felt if they, if they supported a, a cultural center or a Mexican-American cultural center. So in my position as the, uh, with EACDC, that was one of the contractual items that we, that, uh, we had. And that's how uh, we came about putting together the needs assessment. I'm trying to think, looking back at it, that's before we had computers and, and spell check okay. and all that. But uh, that again was presented to parks and we did a, uh, an assessment of the population and so on. Uh, gathered information, did a survey of, of uh, people, that, residents that lived in the area. Again, to try to see if there was a, a need or there was a need to assess whether the uh, population there in the area were for or against. And that's kind of where, where it ended with me back in 86 and I got into other kind of work and businesses and so on. So the, the survey was on whether to have a cultural center, a Mexican-American culture center? The survey was to whether or not they felt there was a need for a Mexican cultural, Mexican-American cultural center there in the vicinity of the Fiesta, in Fiesta Gardens or in, within that area that encompasses uh, that area between 7th Street down to the river and Rainy to the Nardes. and. Also, though, to uh, we have a list of items or functions that do components to it that we wanted to get feedback whether they would what that they want a museo, that they want presentations, that they want theater, that they want uh, concerts. Uh, some of us uh, throwing things like or part of the community 
ETLC or the East Town Lake Citizens had several hearings. So that's kind of where we based the questionnaire on. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the questions were uh, trying to see if it could be built or there was a need for something else like a, uh, a, uh, a um, some kind of a GD center or a, a not just cultural center but an apprenticeship center. So things like that to kind of build, connect the arts with, the, with, uh, with services and so on. And uh, so the idea again was, is there a need for it? And if there is, what components or what, what areas would you, what kind of things would you like in it? And do you remember uh, the findings or what, what was it? The, the findings were pretty specific, pretty uh, much on the side of yes, that there was a need for a, a cultural center a Mexican-American cultural center. Mm -hmm. And people expressed a pride in wanting and wanting to have something there for, for themselves. Mm -hmm. And the main area there that was pushed was Fiesta Gardens because Fiesta Gardens had already been beautified and, and uh, renovated. And it was uh, a lot better by that time. And uh, I can't remember, but I think we did at least 100 surveys, questions of households is what we did. We did a, we followed a random so, uh, sur sample survey and picked out, uh, make sure that we had, I think, at least one household, or one housing unit per each uh, census tract, or by, we went by census tracts, and we were able to uh, get, I think, a pretty good uh, response of, of those 100 people. And they pretty much concurred with, the, again, the need that they favored a Mexican-American cultural center run, though, by the neighborhood, by and responsive to to their needs, mm -hmm. they uh, some groups would start started coming in and started talking about the administration of it, which was a good point. Of uh, but in the uh, survey results, I think most people really wanted to see. Let's get it built first. This is what we want to see. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that point, again, it was all the they were scattered. Uh, people in favor of rainy, I think where it eventually ended up, but the majority wanted it out at Fiesta Gardens, again because of the proximity, walking distance of course, the whole neighborhood is around there. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was pretty conclusive that they were in favor of it. And was there much coverage of, of while all of this is going on, you've written, you've gone and you've done a survey, you're trying to get the pulse of the community, you're trying to find out what other things. Was this actually, was, do you see, like, it, it was like, seems to me like a Amer Mexican-American really uh, issue, concern. So did you see, like, the greater city of Austin covering this issue? Do you know, do you remember if the regular media was covering this? The or was it just the, the Mexican media that was I covering? remember, I think it was just the uh, Mexican-Hispanic media that, co that was covering it. I don't remember much general media coverage. Uh, I guess as you know, about the only coverage we would get there back then in those days with bad things happened in the east side, mm -hmm. in the barrio, unfortunately. But uh, the the media coverage didn't really start until start people started talking about rainy and encroaching in ra on rainy with the cultural center and, and redoing that whole area. I think that's when it finally started. But back in the mid-80s, there were some Presentations that were covered, of course, the Town Lake Citizens presentations, presentations uh, uh, at part at the Parks and Recreation Department, and so on. Mm -hmm. 
Now, uh, earlier you you talked about you know a few people, Mrs. Margarita Simon, and talked about, and some of the people talking about the Mexican, you know, creating this mm -hmm. center. Uh, were those people still involved? You, we're now we're like in the 80s, mm -hmm. right? 85, right. 86, when you're doing this survey. Were, were, did you still see the involvement of a lot of those people, or were there changes? By that, no, by that time, those people that I mentioned and others had, I guess, had gone into their own businesses and they uh, had moved on to other things. But, like, you know, in anything, the, a dream has to start somewhere and it started like, to me with that concept and I'm sure a lot of other people had the same idea mm -hmm. uh, that they wanted to see but I think by the mid 80s again it was the uh, neighborhood area the Lucha uh, other group and artists and then it started taking on a new life of its own once the bond money came over in the 90s and so on mm -hmm. and uh, did you ever get involved I know you completed the surveys in the 80s did you um, get further involved in the development of the Mac, or even writing about the Mac, or my? Uh, I guess there in '86 was uh, when I kind of my kids started growing up, mm -hmm. and I started having to make a living because mm -hmm. working for in the neighborhood doesn't pay well, of course. And Susan, I know you know that, <laughs> and uh, so uh, I moved on to other things into workforce development type mm -hmm. of work. I mean, I've always kept up with it, and it was great to hear how it finally got to fruition, got built, and so on. But after that was about the end of my involvement there. Okay. So the, I, I guess so the Bay's involvement was in doing that particular survey, and was that survey presented to anyone? At, you know? The, in 86, there was also our last contract with the uh, EICDC that I mentioned before, with the city. And once that ended, I think that that's, we presented it or we gave it to um, Mr. Morales, who I'm sure, and then we gave a copy to Parks, Parks and Recreation Department. I think that's where it ended for a while. Mm -hmm. So you yeah, didn't actually present at the parks, you just gave them a copy. Right. And who's Mr. Morales? Oh, it was uh, Ponciano Morales. The city wanted an architect back then. I don't know if he's still there, but he was a well-known architect. And, and he did a lot of the, uh, the technical type of description and, and uh, provided some of that information. But he was with the city? No, he was uh, his own uh, private architect. Mm -hmm. Kind of provided sort of like oversight or mm -hmm. direction. And so, uh, so you know that the MAC got the open, like you said, you, you knew about it through, through reading about it or hearing about it? By that it. time I had been working throughout the state, wherever, uh, different uh, areas, Houston, Dallas, etc. But I would keep up, of course. My home is still Austin, my family, and I still have my house there. So yes, I would read about it every time I would get up there. And I have uh, some friends uh, that were involved there as they moved into that other phase, uh, appeal. So you know, Penderia and other people that got into that part of it, that started moving in, finally got it, got it built. Mm -hmm. And do you recall, you know, any conversations or what they felt was it was the vision of the Mexican American Culture Center like really coming to life, or do you remember any conversations? What I re what I remember in talking with different friends who got involved in that, it kind of lost some of its initial purpose or the initial dream to have it run 
and be supervised or be directed with input from the neighborhood. Uh, having neighborhood shows, having uh, uh, neighborhood concerts, those kind of things. Uh, that's the feedback I would hear and from things, uh, I mean, I'm sure it's, it's great to do some, some of those shows that they've done. But what I've heard is some of that original dream kind of was went by the wayside. And so, um, did, did you attend any of the opening ceremonies? Uh, no, I've night? always been out of town, never was able to. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to add? You know, we're just trying to do the history mm -hmm. of the, or when the concept, you, you talked a whole lot, you know, like mm -hmm. in the 70s all the way to the 80s, and so what we're just doing is just gathering, you know, information what people remember about that vision that the community I think had. It, I think, I don't know if they have, have had a, a people event or a neighborhood event yet. I don't know if they've had such a thing. To give credit to all those uh, residents of East Austin that pushed and the unknown ones. Uh, there's a, comes to mind right now, Mr. Segovia, all kinds of neighborhood people that were out there that kept pushing for it. And without them being building the foundation, I don't think it would ever been built. So I don't know if they've ever been recognized or there's been any event at the uh, at the center to recognize what the community did to bring it over. I, I hope it hasn't become too too big of a uh, more of a general purpose type of uh, of center. Okay. Uh, so, was there anything else you wanted to add? About the, the Mac, it didn't have to be this, the Mac actual, but even the concept. Or well, no, it just it, it feels uh, it feels kind of crazy that back then people, a few people, were bringing that that idea, and it, the way it started snowballing and rolling, and it just kind of goes to show that uh, you put enough people behind it, put some sweat, it takes time. It's unfortunate it took so long. It seems like when uh, the politicians the uh, money people really want something done, they'll get it done in one year, two years, put it on the bond and get it pushed and passed and the money allocated to it and expended. This thing, I know for a while it became almost like a joke, it was 20 years, 10 years, something like that. So hopefully if there's ever other project like this for the community, we can do a better job of doing it faster. Well, um, Zeke, I want to thank you uh, for your time and for uh, sharing um, this information and history that you have on the next American. You're welcome, Susan. Thank you.